only source of true delight whom I unseen adore Unveil thy beauties to my sight that I might love thee more Oh that I might love thee more You're listening to the weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian the following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my bleeding dying. Scripture reading is found in James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. The book of James is found after the book of Hebrews and before the book of First Peter, or if you're reading from the Pew Bible on page 1,012. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set amongst our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessings and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Let us seek the Lord in prayer together. O gracious Lord, you have created us in your image. You've created us so that we can commune with you, so that we can think thoughts of you, so that, Lord, we can understand you and you can communicate with us. We have fellowship with God because we're made in your image. And, Lord, we have this wonderful gift of being able to speak, of being able to share our thoughts with one another, of using words Uh, for great good, words that bring life and encouragement and comfort, words that can speak forth truth 
words that can change the world. And yet, O Lord, you know how quick we are to abuse this glorious privilege. We pray, Lord, thanking you that you come this morning to meet with your people in order to build us up in Christ, to conform us more to his image, Lord, so that we would speak as you speak, that our words would be pure as your words are pure, our words would be sincere, truthful as yours are. Oh, Lord, that we would be vessels in which the glory of God can be seen and heard by all that we do and say. We come to you, Lord, seeking your grace and thanking you that you're infinitely willing to do and that you are able to do way beyond, as Paul says, exceedingly beyond all that we ask or think. Amen. It's amazing as I wander into granddaughter stories, the capacity of a little child to imitate. We were doing uh, O MacDonald last night in the car. It's a favorite thing as we're going in the car. And, of course, we call out a, uh, an animal. O MacDonald had a duck. E-I-E-I-O. And then we wait for her. Wah, wah, wah. O MacDonald had a sheep. E-I-E-I-O. Meh, has a little wobble in it, just like you do, you know. Cat, dog, real good dog. And then, what's so cute, in our O MacDonald, the jungle animals are on the farm too, okay? So, O MacDonald had an elephant, E-I-E-I-O, hand goes up, because of the trunk, you see. We just, it's, so, it's because she's so precocious, of course. Um, but they imitate anything, and they imitate exactly like you do it. So we were playing fine granddad in their house. No, at first, yeah. So chasing me around, they have a little uh, area with the hall and living room where I can go around a corner and wait. She comes around and catches me and screams and laughs and catches me again and again. And then I started branching off and hiding in a closet, and I would call, Lila. Lila, finally wondering, ah, screaming, laughing. I go say, Lila. So then she starts to go hide. She hides and it's quiet and she says, Lila. <laughs> it's a game in which you say her name, obviously, you know. And it's amazing that even a parrot can so exactly imitate us. Uh, Terry, Joan Dura, I visited them some time back, and they were talking about their little gray parrot. Female, the males are better at it, but the females still imitate. And, you know, the standard things, the phone rings, hello, you know, that kind of thing. Or she uh, will do the, uh, imitate the dog, uh, the little, uh, ah, what's the little bitty dog? Chihuahua, thank you. Uh, I lost it. Um, so they'll think that somebody's at the door because that's when the dog barks. But it's the parrot just barking, you know, every once in a while. <laughs> but my favorite is this, to imitate their conversation. So you'll be sitting there and you'll hear the parrot say this, Honey? What? <laughs> <laughs> With the tone, you know. <laughs> there's Joan, there's Terry. Okay. <laughs> Amazing, you know. Has no idea what it's doing. Honey? What? 
<laughs> and it's, a, it's amazing the capacity of a child or a bird even to imitate, you know, to do it just exactly the way they hear it. And it is in stark contrast, sad and shocking contrast, to the misuse of our tongues and how we so often don't imitate God. How often our words are so unlike God. In Sunday school this morning, we talked about the problem of anger and how do we pray for that uh, problem. And uh, we, we talked about one aspect of praying is to realize God himself is slow to anger. God, the majestic God, the infinite God with unlimited dignity and dealing even with those who were crucifying him on the cross, mocking and spitting on him, ridiculous little pathetic people that were being upheld by his power, still in patient love, he says, Father, forgive them. As I said, we will get angry when somebody pulls out in front of us. Look at the contrast of our words and God's words. And this passage certainly is one of the hard passages describing the nature of our abuse of this gift, how little we are like God, how we don't tend to imitate God with our tongues. And in fact, the way James underscores it, this is one of those particular problems with human beings is the sin of the tongue. We began last week from Matthew 12 and Jesus' teaching about how we're going to give an account for every careless word that we ever speak and how our words will indicate whether we really trusted God or not, whether we really uh, trusted in Christ or not. Because he says, by your words you will be justified and by your words you will be condemned. Your words will tell the tale. Your words will describe accurately who you were what you were, what you trusted in, what you believed. And so here in this passage, uh, we have, I'm going to put it under four different uh, titles of four different uh, areas as he talks about the significance of the tongue. That's the basic idea, that's the critical nature of the tongue. So we're going to look at the significance of tongue of the tongue in teaching just briefly, then the significance of the tongue in obedience, then the significance of the tongue in sinning, and then the significance of the tongue in worship. First, in teaching, it really is the beginning of this passage as he says, not many of you should become teachers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. So it's in the general, although the rest of the passage seems to speak more generally about the use of the tongue, he begins in this specific way. And, of course, there are two aspects of uh, that, that make teaching so critical. One is that you tend to influence so many people by what you teach. It's so important because you're influencing others, and in teaching, you're dealing with the most critical areas of life. It is amazing that people who generally professed Christ because of the teaching of one man, now millions and millions, believe that God one time was a man like us and became God, and they all one day will become gods of other planets. These are people that were 
in a Christian culture. But now they're part of the Latter-day Saints. And they believe atrocious things, pernicious things about Christ, about God, about ourselves, that we uh, ourselves will be gods one day, that God himself was a creature. Well, it shows just what teaching can do and how vital it is that teaching be according to the truth, not because a man wants to manipulate, not because he is seeking position, he's seeking influence, he's seeking money, he's seeking power, but because he is seeking to speak the truth as God has given it in the Word of God and nothing else. I was surprised. I spent some time at my former church, uh, East Gazda Methodist Church, in the last few weeks because of what happened with my father and uh, being back home this past week to help my mom. And I remember years ago when I uh, spoke there for a couple of nights, it was a series of teaching. They had graciously invited me to come there. And a lady came up to me after the first night. She says, wow, I I like what you do. You teach what's in the Bible. I was just stunned, you know. And I remember thinking at that time, who would come listen to anything but that? Why do people go and listen to anybody who proposes to be a Christian teacher when they're not teaching the Bible and nothing else but that? Otherwise, you're just launched into somebody's idea. Not many should become teachers because they will be judged with a greater strictness because of the importance of our words as teachers. And then maybe the second part of that is that there's the at least proposed thing as a teacher that you have knowledge and that you must live according to that knowledge and live consistent with that knowledge. And so, as Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, the last verse in that chapter, verse 16, take heed to yourself and to your doctrine so that you and your hearers may be saved. Isn't it interesting that his life is vital as part of what will affect people? Realizing that even a life, if, if our lives are not conformed to what we teach, then it tends to distort the message itself. It just tends to distort the emphases of that message. And so, uh, certainly, this is the beginning salvo of, of James for teachers, not many to become teachers because there's a stricter judgment, because of the importance of what is taught, because of the importance of living in keeping with what you teach. But I want to spend more time on the others. The significance of the tongue in obedience. Notice he says, we stumble in many ways. We all sin in many ways. That's an understood thing. But he says, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man. That is a complete man, a a fully rounded, mature man. And he's able to bridle his whole body. The indication is that this is the most difficult aspect of our lives before God, is controlling the tongue. And most of us would admit that it's easier to stop doing things than it is to stop that tongue from saying things when you didn't mean to say that, didn't want to say it that way, or you should have said this, or how many times that happens for us. One older writer said, all too often what we say is just more uh, more material for repentance. You know, 
just more material for repentance. But it seems to be giving too much to the tongue. Wait a minute, this little thing, the tongue? You're saying, if I bridle my tongue, I'll be able to bridle my whole body. It, uh, James, is, is though he says, I may appear to be giving too much weight to the tongue. How can it be that if I control this one part of my body, that I would have a capacity to control my whole of my body? And so he gives these examples. Well, you know about a bit in a horse. It's a little bitty piece of metal and it controls hundreds of pounds of animal. Or a little rudder that controls a very large ship. We know how a small thing can have a great influence. And so we, we might think that the tongue is, is a small thing, but he's, he's urging us to consider it's a huge thing to control the tongue. It's a very difficult thing to control the tongue. And he says there in, at the end of this little section in verse 5, the tongue is a small member, but it boasts of great Things, great issues, difficult issues. For instance, it's one thing to say, well, I'm going to watch what I say. But my words are not only, as we talked about this last week, not to be negative or hurtful, but they're to be constantly good words, to be encouraging words. And let's pick on the husbands again. He won't come next week. Honey, I'm sick. I just don't feel. But what if every day your words encouraged your wife, strengthened her, comforted her, supported her, gave her hope, increased her happiness? What if every day that your wife would say, that's what he does. That's how he speaks to me. He's like a fountain of, of joy and life to me by the way he speaks to me. The tone of his voice, the sensitivity, the things he thinks about. You say, well, I stopped using angry words to my wife a long time ago. Yeah, you stopped talking to your wife a long time ago, maybe. A lot of times quiet, just, you know, we're quiet. We didn't say, I didn't say anything wrong tonight. No, that's not, the, that's not the call, that you didn't say anything wrong. What do we say good and encouraging? Of course, we must refrain from angry words and bitter words, resentful words, sarcastic, biting, mocking words, malicious, revengeful words, grumbling, complaining words, words of self-pity, lying, deceiving words. Yes, that's a huge thing right there, huge, that we would avoid all of that. But it's only part of the picture. Our words to be fountains of life for our wives. Do our words positively encourage our wives every day? Are we building them up with our words? Are we expressing kindness and tender love with our words? Do our words express our joy for our wives? Do we have a sincere love for our wives that expresses itself in our word? You see, the standard to have a pure heart, a sincere, real love that's expressing itself honestly and sincerely in words, that's like impossible. Impossible. So it's not just avoiding the negative. It's constantly voicing positive 
encouraging things to our wives. And of course, if you have a sincere heart of love that's constantly, joyfully expressing itself in words of love to, to uh, an honor to every person, husband, wife, children, brother, sister, mother, father, aunt, uncle, cousin, neighbor, co-worker, fellow church member. Not only the words you speak to those people, but the words you speak about those people. If you're able to do that, James says, you'll be able to exercise self-control in every area of life to some degree. But if you think of it like that, you think, Wow, that's a tall order. That's a tall order. That my tongue in all that regard, in the people I speak to and the people I speak about, it's marked with love and honor. That comes from a sincere heart that earnestly desires the good of people. That's the standard. It's a small member, but it boasts of great, great things. It has tremendous power. Tremendous influence. As the tongue goes, we could say life goes. As the tongue goes, family goes. A culture goes. Nations go. History goes by the tongue. It's small, but it wields absolute influence in so many ways. And as he says, we stumble in many ways, but if you don't stumble in what you say, you're a perfect man. The indication is... We sin in many ways, but none more prevalent than the tongue. And so I would urge us all, myself included, you can do a lot worse than for the next three months, let's say. It's just a suggestion. But pick a time period for three months and focus a huge amount of your prayer and worship your trust, your scripture memory, your conscious effort, your help from others, especially loved ones. It might be important for you to sit down with your children and say, how do I speak to you? What are my words like? It might be good, wise, for you to ask that of your husbands. Wives tend to be sometimes gentler, more manipulative, undercover in how they're trying to get him to do what they want. Be just as selfish. I want him to be this and this and this and this, and if he's not, he's going to pay for it with my words. But what if you devoted the next three months really concentrating on this, seeking God out to establish a whole new awareness, a whole new humility about words, a whole new energy devoted to having words that bring life to those around you? Well, the significance of the tongue then in obedience, but then the significance of the tongue in sin. He begins to turn a corner, although there's a connection, and the ESV, as it's laid out, has it well, because a new paragraph begins in the second part of verse 5 there. But you see, it's the same basic idea, a small thing making a big impact. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. So there's a little tie-in of the bridle, uh, the bit and the rudder and the fire, okay? All small thing affecting a big. But now the focus is on the destruction of that, you see. The others, even in a, uh, even in a sea with winds being driven, the rudder can guide a ship to safety. But now the destructive nature of this tongue. So it's the significance of the tongue in regard to sin, 
And you see how he says the whole, we, we know about, it's as though he would say, your fire, you, your tongue is a California fire waiting to start. That's the way for you and I to think about it. Your tongue is a California fire just waiting to start. Your, son, your tongue will set the blaze going. And he says later, the tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life. And so our tongues are a forest fire waiting to happen. Think of your tongue as a campfire sitting there in a no-fire zone. There's not been rain for two months in that forest. Everything is dry, is tender. It's just the least little thing will burst a whole forest into fire. And your tongue is sitting there like a campfire. That's the picture James has for you and for me. That's the humility and the awareness he wants us to have about our tongue. How likely we are for our tongue to do something wrong. And then, as he continues to talk about it, He says in verse 6, and the tongue is a fire. It's already going, okay? It's not a a matter of a spark waiting to happen. It's burning. It is a fire. But notice he says it's... He says, it's a fire, it's a world of unrighteousness. Literally, the, the original says, the world of unrighteousness. The idea is, you know how we're to stay separate from the world. We're to stay unstained by the world, different than the world. Don't love the world, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, John says. So this whole idea of being separate from the world, now James says, the world has an internal agent. The world of righteousness is your tongue. And he's personifying, but he's making a point here. It's as though somebody's inside the fort and the world has a toehold in your life and it's your tongue. That's his point. The tongue is the world of unrighteousness. It is that world. The way Mayer put it, J.B. Mayer, commentator around the uh, beginning of last century, in our microcosm, that is our microcosm, kind of our, our different world of our body, in our microcosm, the tongue represents or constitutes the unrighteous world. Now, all of this, you know, you don't get hung up by literal, oh, I thought I was new in Christ, okay? That's not his point. His point is trying to show you just how easy it is to, be, to abuse the tongue. Just how quickly the tongue can be used for wrong. And so, not only does he say that it sets things afire, the tongue is afire, it stains the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, but get this, the last phrase in verse 6, and it's set on fire by hell. That's not nice. (laughs) Now, hell here is Gehenna. You know, the, the place of where the garbage is burned right outside of Jerusalem and refuse and everything else is burned out there and it became known as uh, the word used for hell to picture that uh, constant burning and suffering of hell, Gehenna. Your tongue is set on fire by Gehenna, James says. And hell here represents, it's not just hell or the burning of it, but hell represents the place where of, of strength where the demons are, where Satan is. So he says, your tongue is set on fire by Satan. 
by Gehenna. And so, you could say your tongue tends to be anti-God because the world is against God and your tongue is the world of unrighteousness. Your tongue tends to be anti-God and it tends to be pro-Satan. That's the way one commentator put it. (laughs) Please, back off. Uh, Uncle. Phillips translates this area. He says it... It can make, the tongue can make the whole of life a blazing hell. (laughs) That's the way he puts it. And Mitten says, man's tongues all too readily yield themselves to Satan's service. You think of Peter. Peter. Peter wasn't cursing Jesus. Peter was saying something helpful. He was telling Jesus that, don't, no, don't, don't talk about uh, death and crucifixion, Lord. You know, and of course, for Peter, that's not very encouraging for the troops. You know, that's not where this ball game's headed, you know, for destruction and loss at the end. I mean, we're going up. We're Messiah, King. You know, this is where we're going, Jesus. And you remember his words. Get behind me, Satan. His words were set on fire by Gehenna. Set on fire by Satan himself. And Jesus named it. He says, get behind me, Satan. So the way I've thought about it is here's this campfire set on fire potentially by hell and will I leave that thing untended? This gives some weight, doesn't it, to James chapter 1 where he says if, if you claim to be religious, in our terms, if you claim to be a believer but you don't bridle your tongue, your religion is worthless. James 1.26, it's worthless. It means nothing unless it affects how you govern that tongue. In other words, if the campfire is sitting there in the midst of a forest, untended, it doesn't look like a believer. Believers are concerned. Believers impart and want to please the Lord God with their tongues. And they are concerned about how they speak. They're concerned about how they think before the Lord Jesus. You see, this is... Uh, This is utter sincerity is called for here. And that's why as he continues to talk about the tongue, he says in verse 7, every kind of beast and bird of reptile sea creature can be tamed. It has been tamed by mankind. And he's he's speaking in kind of hyperbole, but saying, you know, in every kind of way, we've been able to control animals and use them for our purposes. And uh, you can even have goldfish come when you want to. do a bell and catfish will show up to eat. You know, this kind of thing that we have, able to uh, deal with animals. But he says, no human being can tame the tongue. Period. That's it. We have no capability. We can't do this. It is, he says, a restless evil. A restless evil. One translation is, this restlessness, a monster of inconsistency. Boy, doesn't that hit home? You know, I said this and this and that. Why did I say that? How could I have said that? It's my monster of inconsistency. This restless evil that is always seems to be waiting to say something wrong or not say what I should have said or could have said. And he says it's full of deadly poison. 
You think of gossip. It, it frightens me to think. We saw this, in fact, uh, with several different girls in particular in high school. In fact, some of the most moral, uh, upstanding girls. But you start a rumor. If a girl decides, I'm going to destroy her, it just spreads like a poison. And everybody thinks that somebody's done something and they haven't. Because it's a poison. The tongue is capable of such destruction. Somebody could ruin me as a pastor. Almost at will. By lying and saying, I did something that I didn't do. It's amazing the power of the tongue to destroy people, to alter history itself. And I think of one sting by a box jellyfish. You think, it's just a sting in this one area, but that poison spreads and it, it can kill you. Many people, it does kill them. I remember a friend of ours who got uh, bitten. He didn't, wasn't sure at first what it was, but he got bitten by a brown recluse. And it, it started here, and in a few days, his whole arm, arm was inflamed, just inflamed. He had, of course, to be admitted to the hospital uh, so it didn't eat his arm up. You know, it was just horrible. That's what he says the tongue can be and is. It's a, it's a monster of, of caprice, a monster of inconsistency. Well, in light of this passage, it's clear that you and I are not very humble about our words or not as humble as we should be. We generally don't start the day, do we, with the psalmist's prayer in Psalm 141. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. I'm not going to ask you, but what if we, you know, how many times do we make that prayer? Lord, Lord. See the humility of Lord. I cannot tame this tongue. My tongue is not blessing those around me as it should I'm not bringing good, but I'm bringing evil. Oh, Lord, control my tongue. Oh, Lord, I cry out for your grace. The psalmist knows the tendency of his words. He knows how easily his words unite with sin. And he knows that the task of guarding his words is beyond himself. He must have divine power. And he's no stronger than a trapped, exposed battalion under heavy fire, and it's calling for the artillery. And that's the psalmist. Lord, I, there's no way I'm going to get out of this unless you come to my rescue. And of course, he then ends, just to touch on it, the significance of the tongue in worship. In these final verses, we bless the, our Lord and Father with the tongue, and then we curse people made in the likeness of God. Can you imagine sitting down in peace and honor with a certain political leader, you express to him your wholehearted support, your agreement with his views, your commitment to serve him faithfully in every way you can, and then one hour later, you are found publicly burning him in effigy. It's like, wait a minute. Did you mean anything that you said to him? You are burning him in effigy. And that's what we do. We burn God in effigy as we curse one another 
as we speak against one another, as we mistreat one another with our words, because we are the image of God. And James used, James uses a phrase that's not used anywhere else in the Bible when he says they shouldn't be. Really, it's like, absolutely not. This should never happen, <laughs> is what James is saying. Now, you might say, well, I, I know I love God, but I really got to up my love for other people. I would suggest something different for you and me. Our honor to one another is the measure of our honor to God. Okay? Not that we love God this much and we love people this much. It's that if that's how much we love and honor people, God says, that's how much you love and honor me. No more, no less. So Proverbs 14 says, Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker. But he who is generous to the needy honors him, honors God, or insults God. <laughs> or Proverbs 17.5, Whoever mocks the poor insults his maker. What's encouraging that though the first sin in Genesis 3 is the sin of the tongue. Because right off the bat, when God confronts Adam and Eve, <laughs> they start lying. They start using the tongue. God is the woman. She did it. If I hadn't, you know, the suggestion is, if it hadn't been for her, I'd have been fine. Why'd you give her to me? And of course, she points the finger. Everybody's pointing. But what's encouraging is when God begins the new creation... In Acts chapter 2, and the Spirit fills the people of God, what do they begin to do? They begin to speak the praises of God. Their tongue is renewed by the Spirit of God. And so the Lord wouldn't say these things to us if He didn't mean for you to find the forgiveness that you can have in Jesus Christ. For He died for all of our sins. He died for the sins of the tongue as in every other sin. And you can be cleansed before Him. You can be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. He takes all sin away. And He renews us by His Holy Spirit. And so I urge you that you turn to Him, that you cry out to Him, that you walk in a new humility, but that you expect Him, O oh Lord, this is the age of the Spirit in Lord, take over my life, take over my, the members of my body, take over my tongue. Oh, Lord, I pray with the psalmist, take hold of my very words that I will please you and imitate you. May we, just like my daughter imitated me exactly and said, Lila, when she heard it, may we begin to speak in such a way that people hear the very echo of the voice of God, the very love of God and glory of God by the way we use our words. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for the great capacity that we have to walk in your image because of what Christ has done. We thank you that your salvation is powerful. It reaches to our very hearts. It transforms our very nature. It transforms our motives. Lord, it transforms everything about us. We pray, O oh Lord, as the hymn writer says, 
that you come to make your blessings flow as far as the curse is found. Oh, Lord, we see so much of the curse in our very words. Oh, make your blessings flow as far as that part of the curse is found, Lord. Sweeten our words, purify our words, purify our hearts, so that, Lord, what pours forth will be of tremendous life and benefit, goodness and kindness and encouragement, righteousness and justice. Bless us, Lord, that we will reflect you by your grace. Amen. The pleasing scene is clouded or with pain. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. My Lord, my life, my light Oh, come with blissful rain Break radiant through the shades of night And chase my fears away Won't you chase my fears away?